All content on this channel is for informational and educational purposes only and should not be construed as professional financial advice. Should you need such advice, please consult a licensed financial or tax advisor. No guarantee is given regarding the accuracy of information on this channel. Okay, recording is in progress. Oh, so I'm um, making fun of you now? Fine. Deal. <laughs> you, you, you can continue making fun of me. <laughs> <laughs> well, if we're gonna do this, if we're gonna do this uh, call correctly, you're gonna be making fun of me, I think. Yeah, well, I think we're gonna be making fun of uh, both of ourselves because um, uh, yeah, we this this clearly shows how much we suck compared to the index. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, I, I'm watching I'm watching uh, Carefully, I'm, I'm hoping that anti-Eric picks end up surpassing the Gill positive picks, and then I feel much happier. It's real close. It's it's it's, it's a leg race right now. It's Three. neck and neck, <laughs> neck and neck. So but anyway, okay. So 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 uh, let, let's take a step back. The purpose of this episode is to uh, wrap up season one, where we covered ten companies, um, starting from Square in episode one, all the way up to Tesla in episode ten. And what we thought we would do in here in the interest of full transparency was to pretend that we had $100,000 and then we would split uh, the $100,000 into equally sized investments, depending on whether or not we personally said, yes, we are interested in investing um, in the company in each episode. So if I had happened to say yes to all 10 companies, then I would have had $10,000 um, investments uh, made in each company, um, and it would have been uh, recorded at the price at the day uh, that we recorded the episode. And if I instead I had said you know yes to let's say uh, four companies, then I would take that hundred thousand dollars, split it into four pieces, so it would be a twenty five thousand um, dollar investment in the four companies that I had said yes to. Um, and this is all being compared against um, a straight up index investment in the S&P 500, um, $100,000 that's just done at the very beginning of this whole thing, which was uh, the date of the recording of our first episode, which was the one about Square. You want to walk us through and, uh, <laughs> how, how well or how poorly we so did? So proud of ourselves, Gil. Really just uh, yeah. is a testament to our skills. Uh, it's a hard sheet to look at. I, I also think, you know, given the run-up of tech stocks, in S&P in general, uh, and we did focus pretty heavy tech in season one, um, you're getting you're getting a disproportionate mm-hmm. view of, you know, index performance versus picking individual stocks. That, that's my that's my uh, retrospective. Yeah. We were covering some pretty high flyers and uh, January, February and March were not very kind as there was a, a sector rotation out of um high flying growth stocks into like boring old industry uh, mature stocks like you know oil and gas and insurance and stuff like that so people and you know this was all shifted by um, uh, this view that uh, inflation is rising and so you kind of want to hard have hard assets even mm. though I'm a little skeptical about that whole uh, thesis in the first place yeah so we um we, well, why don't you we, talk we about picked. that? I, I think if, if we're going to go just a second of you're talking about like macro 
economy and people, you know, big trends shifting. Talk, talk about that for a second if you have a, a take. Yeah. Because I think that'll be interesting. It's- and I'm not I'm not a macro guy. And in fact, I'm not I, I might not even be a micro guy considering how <laughs> as evidence for performance. My I don't think either of us are micro. Guys. One. Yeah. <laughs> but but you know, so you know, that aside, uh, like basically when I'm talking about the larger picture economy, you should listen t- with the idea that I know nothing. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but but you know, on one side, there's the um, there's the view that inflation has to happen because we've like literally just printed so much money. Like in 2020, there are, um, the growth of the amount of money in circulation due to federal uh, federal bank interactions um, ha- has grown by like something like 35 percent or something like that, or it's 50 percent, and then 35 percent of the the money that exists is actually. Um, new money that was created in 2020. And some of that, you know, shock um, in the system um, is still ongoing because they're still supporting payments that are being put into the economy to help families who have been impacted or are continuing to be impacted by the coronavirus crisis, right? So mm. that stuff's still there. And the Fed says that they're not going to taper off with their interventions until 2023 or something like that. So, um, or 2022, like late 2022. So the um, uh, and and what the Fed is arguing is that you know that the simplistic idea that yeah you print more money and then there's more inflation um, doesn't quite capture what's happening in the economy. Um, the they they I think from their point of view they're saying that all of the inflationary things that we're seeing are not are as a result of a combination of supply side shock and also demand side shock. Like basically you just have a whole bunch of people who are not vaccinated and they want to go out and live their best lives. And that of course is going to consume materials in the economy. And at the same time that there's increased demand for stuff, just general stuff in the economy, um, there's also a lot of supply chains that have spent the past year basically twiddling their thumbs and doing nothing when, you know, there's no business, there's no demand. And Mm -hmm. so you have a combination of like people who are super hungry to have their stuff right now, right away. And then you have, and you combine that with a bunch of supply chains that have basically like grown fat and lazy and done nothing (laughs) while, while they were waiting for demand to pick up for the last year or so, just suddenly shocked by this like huge upsurge in demand. And of course, like, what is that going to do except, increased prices for things. Um, now, is this going to be a permanent thing? I don't think so. Like, I really don't think it's, it is because supply chains and the economy are very good at adapting to demand shocks and they'll adjust in time. And um, the demand thing, I mean, maybe we're in the beginning of the new roaring 20s and then we're looking at an upsurge of demand for three, four, five years. I can't help but think that's good for the economy. I think maybe some people are worried that's going to continue the inflationary pressures because there's so much demand. But on the other hand, like if the supply chain's ready and evolving and there's no um, fundamental constraints for the supply chain to you know, meet the, the demands of, of people, I, I don't see why higher demand has to necessarily lead to like permanently higher prices for everything now over the so that's kind of like in the medium term but in the longer longer run of things um you'd have to take the view the simplistic view that we printed more money is literally going to lead to the revaluing of 
um, real assets that are priced in higher nominal terms to be the correct the correct thing. And so, like that's why you know the Bitcoiners who are going on and on about inflation might be right in the long term, but might be wrong in the short term. If if that makes any sense. Um, the other thing that like I, I keep in mind when I'm thinking about macro developments is that if it is true that we are like like as Ray Kurzweil said, like getting closer to the point of singularity where the um, technological advances that we have and the increased sharing of information, the combinatorial nature of um, the creative forces in the economy, creating new technologies that are deflationary. Um, like if that's true, then you might end up having a deflationary effect uh, counteracting whatever inflationary effects there exist in the economy. And so if you have the thesis that the technology is deflationary, then um, that might actually counterbalance these things. Where the relative strengths of these forces are, like whether or not it even is a thing that tech is deflationary or whether or not you know printing more money is inflationary, whether or not inflation is temporary or persistent. To be honest, I don't really know. I'm just spouting ideas right now. But <laughs> but yeah, I mean that's the kind of those are the kind of elements that like I'm bouncing around in my head as I'm as I'm trying to grapple with like where you know forming a personal view of where interest rates are going to head in the future. Sure. So um, yeah, and yeah. I think probably good. Again, I, you know, I love I love the macro take because that's how you build strategies, right? To to counteract mm-hmm. what you think is happening. So good to hear your perspective. I also am clueless on macro. Uh, you know, I try to. You know, I bought Bitcoin ten years ago as an inflationary hedge, and now that people are worried about inflation, Bitcoin seems to be not the right asset to be <laughs> yeah, in. So it's in like the bear, biggest bear market. Yeah, I don't know. So I clearly don't know what I'm talking about. Further evidence that I don't know what I'm talking about. Um, we can we can drill into our, our tracker here. So I think let's cover the basics. And I, I'm sure we'll share the sheet somewhere, but I doubt most people listening will check it out. So let me just run you through some of the highlights, right? Um, the index, right? If we put 100K into the S&P, uh, the ticker SPX, so just tracking S&P 500, has returned so far year to date. Um, and I guess you're starting from the first recording, Gil? Mm-hmm. Yeah, from October. Okay, so, so not a full year. Yeah, since October um, is up twenty seven point one nine percent, which is just monstrous. I mean, that's that's a that's a great year by any standard and any uh, historical year. I mean, that's fantastic. So if you had done you know a hundred grand into that index, you'd be very happy. You'd be sitting on one hundred twenty seven thousand dollars from your hundred k. You'd be thrilled. Now, if you've been listening to that's us, pretty good. Like actually, yeah. um, <laughs> you would have made some terrible mistakes. So <laughs> with, with a lot of this rotating, um, to your point, out of tech and just in general, us covering almost all tech, um, to be honest. I mean, a couple of these aren't, but even there, it's, it's kind of a stretch to, to say it's not tech in any way. Uh, what, what, you, mm-hmm. what we built here is, is basically if we had done, and, and to be clear, we agreed on every stock essentially except two. I mm-hmm. took a short. I took a short nibble of Airbnb, and I think you were pro Roblox when we covered Roblox, and I didn't see yeah. a long term picture. Yeah. So again, you know, short timeframes on those two stocks specifically, we're talking about less than two hundred days. So since mm-hmm. Airbnb was two hundred days ago, Roblox was one hundred seventy one days ago. So not a huge, you know. Again, I'd like to look at this in five years and see where we are. Um, but on the whole, those are the only two stocks we differed on. We both agreed on Square, which has actually done the best of everything, including the, the index. Square's up 31%. Yeah. 
It's the covered. only one of our stocks that ever beat the S&P. Yeah. Well, I mean, when you set the benchmark at 27%, you're going to have a hard time beating that. Um, <laughs> and so, yeah, the, the index has been insane. So just for clarity, but nonetheless, Square uh, topped the index at 31%. That's the highest performing stock that we covered. Um, it's, it's a great company. We both loved it when we covered it. I think it's done a really good job since then and should continue to. I don't see any reason why not. Um, mm-hmm. We should probably just run through the list. Peloton, we both were no on. Uh, it's down 17% since we covered it. I also yeah. think both of us may have taken a nibble when it dipped. It had a pretty it sharp did. dip. Yeah. yeah, it went all the way down to 80. And then mm. I, I started buying in around the low 80s. Yeah, for Peloton. Yeah. I wasn't yeah. I wasn't as timely as you. I think I started buying under uh, under 100. So I got some at 80, some at 90, some in the high 90s. But on the whole, yeah, I mean, I, I'm, we're up on Peloton. Great. It's still down since we covered it. Neither one of us yeah. liked it at the time. And not that we didn't like the company. I, I continue to ride on the Peloton and I hate biking and I, you know, use that whatever. Uh, it's a great company. It's just at that price, it didn't seem appealing. So I'm not surprised yeah. that it's a little lower. And if it continues, if it gets back down to the eighties or, or, or even nineties, I would continue to buy. So I like that company. It's down 17% since we covered it. Um, Again, I still wouldn't think that at 110, it's a buying opportunity, uh, but it is cheaper than when we covered it. It is. And also it was hurt by the perception that it is going to be um, one of those like return to work um, stocks that is going to get hammered. Um, and, but that's like a temporary market perception. If Peloton truly is a great company, it'll get past that temporary perception and probably make new all-time highs as people begin to realize the power um, of its subscription model and its low churn. So that's the biggest thing yeah. that I'm looking for. for sure. Even if it never comes back to 80, uh, if I do see that the subscription churn be- continues to be low even after everybody's coming, coming back to work, that's a sign you should start buying a lot of Peloton because that is an enduring company that has real pricing power and stickiness. Yeah. I agree 100%. The biggest trend line for that is you can see it in the data. If you look at the subscription numbers, to me, it's going to be gym membership. What does gym membership look like post pandemic? And if it's yep. got a sharp, sharp increase back to return levels, I think you can extrapolate back to, Pe- to, to Peloton. Otherwise, yeah. I think a lot of people have moved to work out from home for life. I, yeah. I know I have. I have. I know. I've been a lifelong gym goer. I, I've had a gym membership since I've been 16 years old. Everywhere I go, uh, I don't know if I'm going back to the gym at any point. Right now, I'm pretty right. happy with my home setup. People are buying home right. gyms. You Free want to weights. do stock pick? Yeah, buy some yeah. weight companies. Peloton, yeah. that combo, powerful in a home gym. Yeah, very. And I think Peloton, again, excellent hardware, excellent content, really, really good interfaces, and they do a good job with community building. I, I like the company mm-hmm. a lot. Yeah. Uh, let's keep running through. Uh, we want to keep this one tight. Uh, mm-hmm. Palantir, Palantir is up 17%. Both of us, I, I would say, like the company conceptually, but couldn't get teeth into how to understand whether they were high growth opportunity, whether how much too much smoke and mirrors for me to, to, to get in. I think we talked yeah. a lot about that. Um, yeah. it's, it's, it is the fourth highest performing stock that we covered and neither one of us took a bite. What's your uh, retrospective there? I want to love Palantir, but it's really hard for me to like absolutely love it. I think I I come from a bias where I I think I understand something best when I can experience it. So consumer (laughs) tech is literally like, like the, the dummy thing that I go after because I can wrap my head around it. Palantir, like I don't, I'm not smart enough to understand it. (laughs) That's, 
<laughs> like as in as in like I don't I don't work in an S and P five hundred company where I have to like manage large sums of data or whatever, and I'm not in government, you know, running drones or whatever. So I I, I like it's hard for me to just you know internally state this thing provides a ton of value and I know it's going to do really really well over the long term because I don't know the space super well but yeah. a lot of people like it and um, a lot of people have faith in the company so ah, I'm still trying to push myself over the edge to see if I could like begin to love it it's just just hard because of the internal bias there so it's not consumer tech yeah. Yeah. And I'll tell you again, my, my day job is talking to big companies, big enterprises, uh, and not specifically not government. Uh, and I'll tell you, they're all looking for this type of technology. My only hesitation mm-hmm. when we covered it is I haven't seen it. I don't actually know what it does. And I don't have the, the ego to tell you I know more about this than you do, or, or I know anything about the technology itself or how the, you know, how the AI works inside of the technology and whether the platform's comprehensive. All I can say is there's infinite demand for this. It's, it is, mm-hmm. I think I, I think I remember I called the Holy grail there in terms of like, yeah. you know, actionable data intelligence. If they're able to do that in the, in the, you know, outside of government and in a scalable way, right. So the other issue there was, you know, building out the sales team and being able to capture some of these accounts and, and scale the business where you're not providing 90% services to 10% product. Um, you know, then there's endless growth potential. So I'm keeping a very close eye on Palantir. I also love the company. I love the positioning and I can validate the customer demand. I just, like you, I don't know enough about the technology. I've never had my hands on it. I've never seen a customer or worked with a customer. Um, but I'm just, you know, missing a couple of data points that would get me in there. And if the price does dip, you know, if, you, if you're looking at, you know, uh, any, honestly, we covered it at 18. It's now at 21. If you can get me in the 15, 14 range, I'm probably pretty excited about it. Uh, Alex Karp, the CEO of Palantir, was in an interview at Forbes or something recently. And he said, how much time do you spend thinking about or working on the company, Palantir? And he said, I think about Palantir all the time. The only times that I don't think about Palantir are when I'm swimming, I'm doing Qigong, Tai Chi exercises, or I'm having sex. (laughs) (laughs) It's a great quote. I, I, I mean, I love that. I mean, some people might think that's a little unorthodox for a CEO to say in an interview, but that's the, I love that. That's, that's, that's the kind of focus you want to see, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Only um, for brief moments when I'm having sex do I not think about my company. All the yeah. rest of the time, I'm thinking about this thing. Yeah. I want to know exactly how long that is, too. Is that like a minute? Is that like 20 that's minutes? That's like, what are we? <laughs> follow up. So, how many minutes? Yeah, so, two minutes? <laughs> I'd like, can, can I get some clarity? I can imagine the like uh, the investor call and you get that like 28 year old analyst like, hey, can, can, we just, can we just get a little more specificity on how much time actually spent not thinking about the company? She busts out the intern with a chart for the last six months about the duration yeah. of his sexual activity. Yeah, and I, I've noticed, I've noticed this, that the, the output of the company correlates to your frequency <laughs> of intercourse. And I'm wondering, is there a way we can, yeah, that'd be a great thing. Yeah, um, that would be so, good. The next one's actually the most interesting one for me. And I, I'm going to make you, uh, I'm putting you on the spot for Pin Duo Duo. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You turned me around on Pin Duo Duo. I was out. Yeah. And then during the pod, I was in. I, I still like the company for what it's worth. I do, but yeah. Um, yeah. it is the second worst performer uh, <laughs> and, and certainly the worst performer that we both went in on. So yeah. it's down 22% since we covered. We talked about it at 136. It's at 107. What happened? I, um, well, China took a shit. That's basically yeah. what it was. <laughs> That's what I would have uh, said if you asked me. Yeah, China tech <laughs> stocks got hit really hard and Pinduoduo like got in it. And, you know, it's not, 
like it's not like the market just randomly threw a tantrum. Um, there's some like real issues that people are worried about with respect to um, like Chinese regulators and how like heavy handed or not heavy handed they will be um, in terms of regulating their companies. I, I, and so, um, I, you know, I, I think if I'm thinking about it in the long term, um, China needs to occasionally exert influence whenever it sees its companies out of line. And it does so in a heavy handed manner. And I think it does so so that it scares other market participants into lining up exactly when, you know, the, the government tells you to do something, you do something, right? Um, and so I don't necessarily view it as a terrible thing because, you know, and I don't want to like make false equivalences or whatever, but in the U.S., we do want regulators to take a strong hand. We don't want them to be like overly dramatic about it, but there needs to be regulation. And in the U.S., we welcome regulation in companies, um, especially when it's fair, it's balanced, it's transparent, um, and it keeps company in line focused on like fair market practices. And in China, it's a little bit, it's, it's not transparent at all. And they're a little heavy handed. So it looks absolutely crazy, but maybe there's a method to the madness. I'm keeping an open mind about it. I still think that Pinduoduo is a good company for the long term. They are making a couple of pivots though, that you have to watch out for as an investor. The, um, the CEO or the founder who um, recently stepped down and to, to let his second hand, his right hand man, um, uh, you know, um, run the company. He's focused on the, the founder, Colin Huang, is focused on um, agricultural sciences. So it's a strange pivot for China, for, for Pinduoduo in China. But I think over the long run, there's some interesting optionality that could come from this. If Pinduoduo has um, close relationships with the Chinese farm base or the Chinese farmers and is able to um, bring to market uh, advise and form a close relationship and be the trusted provider to bring to market Chinese agricultural products from the rural areas to the big cities. That helps China and it helps uh, the farmers and it helps big city dwellers get better quality food at lower prices and it helps Pinduoduo. So there's like a, a long-term bet that they're making right now that I think a lot of people don't fully understand or are a little bit leery or are a little bit leery of. And so that's probably why the, the share price is taking a hit. If you believe that there's optionality in there um, it, and that they're making good progress with it and it is valuable for the company, uh, I think that it would be an interesting company to watch and maybe add more to. So I'm, I'm, thinking, I'm thinking about increasing position there. Are you, are you and, buying more now or are you considering? I'm considering, so I want to see data about it. And um, the um, the other thing that is uh, happening in China is that the um, Tencent and Alibaba have both of these control both of these like um, separate ecosystems that are based on super apps. And Pinduoduo is in the Tencent camp. And Pinduoduo, because it's in the Tencent camp. Um, really benefits from exclusivity in the Tencent WeChat app. So it's like a mini program within it and gets a lot of exposure, a lot of popularity. Because mm -hmm. of the way the Chinese regulators have cracked down on the, the tech ecosystem, I think there's more of like a movement towards um, 
less of a monopoly. Like, so ten, they don't want, the regulators don't want Tencent and Alibaba to have as much of a monopoly, which means that they're kind of like pushing them to share information with each other or to actually cross open up data between the, 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 the super programs that those two companies control, mm-hmm. which is going to basically take, um, like it's basically muddying up the waters where you're not sure if it's a good thing for Pinduoduo uh, to have that happen or if it's a bad thing. Um, and you kind of just need to see where the dust settles or the mud, you know, when, when the things clear a little bit, like what what's going to happen to the company because of that. So um, I'm interested because the price has gone down, but the price has gone down because there's some murky things. The re- Chinese regulator stuff, I'm not so worried about, but opening up the mini pro, uh, the, the WeChat um, and data sharing, that's the one where I really need to think about it, um, whether it's good. And then also the long-term optionality for their agricultural business is something that I, I'd, I'd want to watch out for as well. Um, but it's a good company, as in they've, they've demonstrated the ability to pivot and pivot and pivot and grow all the way, like, like a weed while pivoting. Um, and it's just whether or not they can turn another trick in here that, yeah. that I really want to see. Yeah, I think that's that's well put. I don't know enough. Um, I, I started doing deeper research once we covered it. Um, and then all the Chinese regulation, uh, really scared me off to be honest. Um, so mm-hmm. I'm, I'm kind of paused, um, but I'm, I'm keeping tabs. I don't know what data exactly you'd be looking for that would give you more comfort in an investment, but that's one, again, the second, second biggest loser in the, in the coverage this season and one that we both liked. So that's a nice opportunity mm-hmm. to, to buy back in. We should talk about it again, probably at some point. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Airbnb. Uh, this is one again, you know, uh, I took a small nibble on at the time uh, we, we recorded it around 150. It's now at 134. It's down 10%. Uh, again, a small amount, not super meaningful financially for me, but, uh, I am a little surprised to be honest. I would think, uh, post pandemic world going crazy. Everyone wants to go out. Every time I talk to somebody about a vacation, a trip, uh, taking the family, getting out with the kids, something it's all on Airbnb. Yeah, so I, I, I know, uh, Verbo has done a nice job rebranding, um, mm-hmm. since, uh, I don't see more of their commercials. They're obviously spending a lot on marketing, but still almost everyone I've talked to all my, like, you know, again, limited sample size, but everything I'm seeing is, is pro Airbnb. I'm a little surprised at the stock price. I don't have a great explanation for why it's done. Maybe people are pessimistic that this is going to last. Maybe, you know, I've seen a couple larger hotel groups get into smaller, more customized offerings and unique stays. Uh, so maybe a little bit of competition, but on the whole, I would think it would be flat, not down. So uh, I don't have a great explanation there. I don't know if you have thoughts too. Yeah, no, I don't have anything to add on that one. I Everything you've said is like uh, exactly what I'm thinking. Uh, the only thing I would say is maybe um, at the IPO, the price was a little high and now the market's just trying to wiggle its way and find what it feels like is a fair price, which isn't that far away from the opening price anyway. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, as Airbnb proves, it proves itself out and kind of grows its way into its valuation, um, you'll start to see it pick up, but it might be flat for a little bit until the market gets more validation in that. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, we can keep an eye on that one too, but uh, that one stung me. Uh, and then Roblox. Uh, again, I am, I, I'm surprised it had also a very high valuation IPO uh, mm-hmm. at, at close to 70, 69 when we covered it. It's now at 77. It's up 11%. I'm still bearish long-term. Uh, I don't know short-term. I, again, I'm talking about the future of, of AR and immersive gaming and everything else. So, you know, I think the long play is something closer to a 
Facebook, uh, it doesn't mean you can't, you know, uh, acquire a partner with a roadblock. It's not the end of roadblocks, but I, I'd be wary longer term, short term, you've done well on this one. Yeah. And I, I, I think there's really not that much of a difference between Roblox and Airbnb in terms of like where the market dynamics were. It just happens to be that Roblox is priced a little higher. Maybe there was more skepticism um, about Roblox in the IPO level. And then, um, and then uh, it had a couple of quarters where it continued to show growth even after um, um, uh, stuff has started to open up. So um, I don't know. Uh, there's, I agree with you that over the long term, Roblox will need to continue proving itself out in terms of the aging of its demographics and also um, competition from places like Facebook, which are really heavily betting on the metaverse. So, yeah, yeah. I will note, I don't know if I said it at the time, because I don't know if it had happened yet, not in the last 170 days since we covered it. But um, since we talked Roblox, Facebook, the game I've been playing mostly on Oculus is a game called Population One. It's made Mm. by a company called Big Box. Um, Facebook bought them uh, in addition to a couple other game studios. So I think they're going pretty heavy. Uh, And I I think you mentioned it in passing at the end as like an acquisition target or something. There might be a play there for Roblox, but at the end of the day, I still hold everything I said on the pod. I I just don't see them being around in five, 10 years, to be honest. But but short short term, yeah, as a standalone entity, I just don't see it. Uh, It's possible. That's an intriguing idea, like, Zuck, the, the Zuck putting an offer to acquire Roblox. It's so perfect because, you know, Facebook, yeah, Facebook's having the problem where its users are too old, like the old blue Facebook and Instagram. It's like a bunch of old people, to be honest. And yeah. Roblox has got the younger demo and it's perfect fit for their like octopus like tentacles of media properties. Like it's, it, it makes sense. And metaverse, it, the whole thing, like Zuck loves the metaverse. So, yeah. I mean, it, <laughs> it's a, a perfect option, play. A free call it, option in there, in the, the yeah. stock price that it might be an acquisition target, but that's a remote yeah. possibility. I don't know. I mean, that, that's such a logical conclusion too, because yeah, it's just, it, it would be a perfect fit. I would be, uh, as if I owned, I don't own Facebook stock. If I owned Facebook stock, I would be thrilled with that acquisition. It's a perfect pipeline. Mm-hmm. Anyway, yeah. um, we can continue. I, we'll keep an eye on it. But again, uh, I haven't changed my opinion. It's pretty, it's up, you know, 11%, which is great. Um, but yeah, nothing else really to add there. Shopify is the second highest performer after Square. <laughs> um, and uh, in addition- We both said so, no on this thing. Yeah, yeah, we both. Yeah, yeah, we did. We both love the company and love the, yeah. the charts. We just yeah. couldn't justify the price. And it's yeah. still climbing. I was saying, oh, no, it's it's gone up on a run. I feel like the valuation is a little high, but I love this company. And it's up 26% since we talked about it yeah, yeah. 134 days ago. It's wild. Ah, it's wild. It's yeah. such I mean, a beast. Toby Lutke, I'm going to name my child after Toby. He's so good. <laughs> So good. Yeah. Has it, have they done anything or changed anything since we covered it that's been exciting for well, you or worth talking about? Uh, an interesting thing is that they started to um, think about some hardware, actually, um, point of sale hardware. So it's going to end up being a competitor to Square. Um, that's that's interesting. Basically, what they're doing all the time continuously is incrementally, wherever they see an opportunity, just working on building new products and services that enhance in any way possible the relationship with sellers. They just are relentless about it. They don't stop. Like there's no product cycle. It's just 
Kaizen, like continuous improvement. It's a remarkable company. I'm like, like I'm very bullish on it, but I still look at the price and go, I can't buy in at this price. <laughs> I'm such an idiot. I'm such a complete idiot. <laughs> so it's hard. Yeah, it's a good company. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I don't know what to do with one like that where it's it's running up and the price is absurd. I mean, the only other one that that mirrors that would be Tesla up until yeah. when we covered it. Yeah. But, and, and yeah, exactly. So, but yeah, it's hard, man. It's really hard. They're <laughs> they're they're so they're they're really interesting because they've survived in this little niche that like like this blind spot that Amazon has. And Amazon's like this big giant where like, like basically Shopify's a monkey in its back. And it like Amazon's so burly that he can't reach to like take this monkey off of its back because its muscles are too big, you know? <laughs> so like Shopify is growing in that area. And if it could just reach its arms out and like start suffocating Amazon, that's like big. But I mean, it's so improbable that it'll be able to take down Amazon, but that uh, you, you just have to view them as kind of like coexisting and um, growing in their own spheres um, and then, you know, briefly attacking each other in like their domains. But each of them are going to be very dominant in, in the, its market natures. So, yeah, it's a good company. I'm yeah, very it's a great sad. business. I, uh, we, we, I think we missed that. I'm sad that I haven't bought it. I'm stupid. I'm a complete idiot. <laughs> I can't believe this. <laughs> Yeah. It's funny. I, I again, I'm looking at the ones we liked that that performed. We just didn't buy because we didn't like the price. And I feel like yeah, those are the ones you kick yourself for because we both. Yep. You know, yep. It's a good like business. No, no, had, there was not a, not a single time, negative though. thing to say about Shopify during that entire podcast. And it was just like, yeah, yeah it just looks expensive. It. Yeah, so, well, sometimes, yeah. sometimes you got to pay for good companies. Uh, on the flip side. Yeah, that's, uh, that's a secret. Yeah, that's a secret. Sometimes. Yeah. The, the one we covered... Um, I guess fairly recently. And the one time uh, that you do pay, you get punched in the mouth. Of course. Yeah. It's a guarantee, especially if you listen to our advice on here. By the way, I'm buying time so that, yep. And now my the anti-Eric picks are now the best strategy uh, on the sheet. <laughs> I'm so happy. I'm just trying to drag this out until that happened. Um, so let's, let's go. Yeah. So the next one on the list is Coinbase. Um, both of us super skeptical. I think I wanted to like track the price yeah. at, at 340. I was watching it all day um, just to like keep tabs on it. Uh, it's down 34% down to 226. Um, again, you know, we said, I don't know if that was before we started recording or not, but like crypto winter <laughs> over the last month, it's been really bearish. Oh, I think Coinbase man. feeling yeah, that for sure. Taking it up. Yeah. Yeah. It's so interesting how quickly, like I think Coinbase marked the top of the crypto market like most recently, like the IPO of Coinbase was literally the top. And um, it's been like the whole crypto market's down 50% from, from that. Interestingly enough, that's not too bad. It's as long as there's like volumes that are going on on Coinbase exchange, because Coinbase doesn't care about the price too much. It just cares that there's transaction volume. So, I mean, bear markets aren't necessarily too bad. And actually, it's not a bad idea that they raised funds to survive a crypto winter, like literally right before, right before crypto winter. a crypto winter. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, it's true. And I'm actually starting to see some of the competitors that we had mentioned, like Binance, get taken down by U.S. regulators. Meanwhile, not a peep because Coinbase actually has kept a pretty good job of, you know, talking to regulators and making sure that their market won't, um, you know, get any hit with any issues for the SEC or whatever. So, 
They're continuing strong. I'm beginning to get intrigued. I'm not sure about the price right now, but um, I'm thinking about where it could be in like three years or four years. Um, And I'm thinking about buying call options on this thing, like leap call options. Mm. Um, Because you kind of see it like be higher from here in three years. Yeah. Yeah, it's not crazy. It's it's already, I mean, yeah, I think we're down... 34% 34% from when it, from when we covered it. Uh, and it wasn't an absurd price. I mean, we, we did talk about the price being crazy during the pod, but um, you know, it, it could continue to go down. And I agree. I think, you know, I'm in a, all these different platforms for lending crypto and storing crypto and none of them are doing it as by the book as Coinbase. They're spending the time mm-hmm. on, on the politics of it. They're spending a ton on security and, and data, you know, just making sure that it's rock solid. Um, and there are, you know, they're yeah. going to open a card and they're going to open a lending platform. You're going to get all the benefits. It's just at lower percentages. So slightly less appealing than some of the other alternatives, but it's just, we're about two, three news headlines away from another one of those companies exposing data or losing keys. Right. And, and Coinbase, it just, for whatever reason, feels like that's not going to happen to them. Um, and so, you know, that, that is a big branding advantage yeah. that they have over yeah, everyone they're else. They're pretty tight. Yeah. Um, okay, mm-hmm. good. Yeah. Um, we'll keep yeah. tabs on that one. Uh, next one is DoorDash. This one shocks me, to be honest. <laughs> I, I don't know what to say. DoorDash is up. We both 20- hated it. Yeah, I continue yeah. to hate it. Uh, I just got a delivery from them yesterday. Uh, DoorDash is up almost 20% <laughs> uh, from 140 when we covered it to 167 today. Uh, I have no explanation. Uh, I don't know. what the, Anything changing? Any news? Like just a philosophical, a philosophical question in here is, is it possible to absolutely hate a company um, that you actually use on a regular basis? <laughs> like you use Peloton yeah, on a great. regular basis and you don't want to invest in it, right? You use right. DoorDash all the time and you don't want to invest in it. Like, does that seem a little crazy to you though? Like, is there some sort of like discrepancy going on where um... that is happening to us? Trying to think of an example of other companies I use all the time that I want nothing to do with. <laughs> um, oh, Facebook. <laughs> I'm sure you use. Instagram yeah, but that that stock's also crushed, right? I mean, over time. Yeah. Uh, at least over the time that I haven't liked it. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I don't know. I'm trying to think. Um, I don't know. I don't know enough about like every consumer stock to tell you who's underperformed. But I'm sure if I look in there and I look at like. I don't know. I'm sure there's some apparel companies that have not done well uh, that I love wearing their stuff, or I'm sure there's like maybe a shoe company or, uh, you know, there are product companies, right? Like I'm, I'm whoever, uh, I'm trying to think of like a home appliance and stuff like that, that like you just have to use. And sometimes they're, they're good. Sometimes they're bad, but it doesn't necessarily correlate to uh, uh, stock performance. And also DoorDash, mm-hmm. part of the problem with DoorDash is that it's it's not, there's nothing unique about the DoorDash platform as opposed to other stuff. I mean, you brought up a good point at the end of that pod about Uber Eats. And if they went belly up, that would open up market share for DoorDash. Um, but I don't know what's changed since we covered yeah. it yeah. a few months ago to today that's driven the price up 20% when I thought it was overpriced when we covered it. And I still don't the only know. Thing that, the only thing I can think about is, and I haven't looked at it, if the quarterly reports came out and even after things started to open up, the DoorDash deliveries still continued their momentum, which means that people have formed a habit that is persistent. And even after things open up, people are still ordering from DoorDash. That is a clear sign that there's demand for this thing long beyond COVID. And what COVID did 
was accelerated years of grinding market share that they needed to have done and just delivered it to their laps all in one year. And now they've got a whole new massively expanded customer base that now have like very strongly formed habits that then they're going to continue ordering from DoorDash even after you can go out and do whatever. Yeah. That's the only thing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah maybe. Um, even so, I mean, that's a, that's a very bullish perspective on what they have. I, I just, uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm going to, I'm going to tap out and just say, I, I currently, I don't know enough about that particular market to make an educated call. Uh, I just, I don't see why it should be better now than it was when we covered it. And certainly not, I mean, nothing's changed inherently in the business. So nothing's changed in my opinion in the last few months. I'm just surprised it's run up with all the other tech stocks. But to your point, if, if you play DoorDash as a data play and as a customer first party data play, then maybe there's good argument there as they've continued to collect more data and, and have advantages. Um, but I don't, I don't know. Right. Um, and then the, the darling uh, Tesla, since we covered it just 17 days ago, is down already 5%. So uh, <laughs> ro- rocking and rolling. We, we covered it 680, it's 644. Yeah. Yep, exactly. It just, you know, I think that uh, it's uh, it's going to trade flat for a while. Um, the market needs to see the gigafactories open up, the uh, Austin and the Berlin gigafactories. Yeah. Market would probably also like to see the 4680 cells um, in production. And then a wild card kicker in there is FSD beta in expanded mode and, you know, uptake in mm-hmm. the uh, FSD take rates. Um, you know, any one of those things or a combination of those things is probably going to be what it takes to lift it to all time highs, like 900 or 1000. And then, um, in the absence of those things, or while we're still waiting for those things to happen, uh, it's going to tread water. There's like very low volumes. Everybody's just waiting. And, um, the price is just going to like float around randomly wherever market makers want to take it. Uh, to uh, in order to like maximize the uh, the pain from um, option sellers <laughs> or option buyers uh, on right. every Friday expiry. So yeah, it's going to tread water for a while. But I remain very bullish on Tesla personally, and um, own a bunch of Tesla. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, I don't think but it, I might I don't be completely it... wrong considering the performance of all of my picks in uh, season one. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think I don't think we can harp too much on Tesla after 17 days. So uh, yeah. <laughs> I would say at this point, we thought it was a buy at 680. Uh, I, I think it's a, still a buy at 640, uh, and I'll keep tabs on it. If it gets cheap again, you know, for a minute there it dipped, uh, not in the 17 days, but recently it, it dipped down under 600, and that's that's certainly a buying opportunity. So yeah, I've been adding. Um, like I I think since the time that we talked, I added 27 shares to the pile. So look I'm at you continuing to add. Yeah, just diligently stacking some uh, some shares here. <laughs> yeah, I, honestly, if it, you know, I bought I bought a little bit after the pod. I was feeling motivated, not not significant shares, but added I don't know maybe ten shares or something. Uh, I'll keep tabs if if it still drops. You know, I do think uh, no news presents opportunities for bad news for Tesla. An yeah, accident, a, a mistake. Yeah. So treading water is a nice way to look at it. Realistically, it's it's the bottom could drop out any minute and it could go down 15, 20, 30%. That's, that's kind yep. of what I'm storing yep. up a little bit of dry powder for just in case. I would love, yeah. you know, uh, I, I wish I, sh- I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't love an accident, but I, I wouldn't mind some bad news that wasn't mission critical to the business to give me a buying opportunity because long 
Tesla, I'm as bullish as you. I, I love the company. So yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Keeping tabs on it. So anyway, quick review. Um, just doing the math here again. The index now mm-hmm. at twenty six point eight. If you had invested hundred k straight into the SBX, you'd have done just fine. If you'd listened to Gill, you'd be up three point seven percent, which is <laughs> solid. Not as good as investing in the index fund, which is what every investor should do. Warren Buffett one hundred one. Don't pick stocks. Yeah. Uh, yeah. If you'd gone I think against the, uh, Gil, the index fund did six times, six to seven times better than my picks. <laughs> that's actually, it's infinitely better than my picks. So it, again, the anti-Gil picks, if you'd pick stocks that you specifically didn't like, you'd be flat at zero. So you would have missed out on at least your 3.7 and, and at best your 26% on the index. Uh, you trounced me. Uh, my, my 100K would be down almost 2%, 1.8%. Um, again, just we, we only differ on one stock. I think the key difference again, Airbnb down 10% versus Roblox up 10%, otherwise the same. Um, anti me picks, which is my favorite one, is if you picked everything that I said not to pick, you'd be up 3.78%, which is the best strategy on the entire sheet, barring the index investment. This thrills me. Uh, I, you're I, killing I me here. Bizarro, uh, Bizarro uh, Eric is killing me here. Yeah, the, the, the uh, what's that called from Stranger Things? Um, the uh, the flip side, the, the Bizarro version of me is, is the best stock picker on here. <laughs> the flip side, Eric. Yeah, he's Killing awesome. all of us. Yeah. Winning anti-Gilmore, yeah. Yeah, so we should be, we should all be proud um, of well, uh, that's it. that alternate one. reality. Yeah. Um, for season two, which is going to be, Another, it's going to start in maybe a few weeks, a month, something like that, or date. But can you really um, call this a plug for season two when we're sitting here talking about how we underperformed? (laughs) (laughs) If if anybody wants to like listen further and then do the opposite of what we're doing, that might be a valid strategy. (laughs) Can we we quickly calculate the combination of anti Gill and anti Eric? Maybe that's your best strategy on here. But yeah, on the whole, you should not be listening to us about picking stocks and everybody should be in index funds. That is the the TLDR of this podcast. That's what we've learned in the first (laughs) season of doing this thing. So I am confident though. We are terrible. I I do think, I do think long run, we'll revisit this again at the end of season two. Oh yeah. I feel like maybe this will look a little different. This is not the end of this. This We might have lost the battle, but let's see about the war. Yeah. I'm with you. Yeah. I'm with you, Gil. (laughs) Ah, it's been a pleasure. Congrats. Well done. Season one in the books. All right. All right.